Praise the Lord. I'd like you to open your Bibles to John chapter 4, verses, beginning with verse 23. And it is a passage I'm willing to bet that everybody on this call is very familiar with. I'm going to read verses 23 and 24. These are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You know, this passage describes an encounter that Jesus had with a woman of Samaria. And time certainly forbids me to delve deeper into the contextual background of this encounter. But I am confident that most of you know the story. And I want to focus in verses 23 and 24, specifically on three keywords used by our Lord Jesus Christ in this narrative. The three keywords are worship, spirit, and truth. And as we will see, spirit and truth form the basis for godly worship. So we're going to be talking about the Father desires worship. Now, I want to put a disclaimer out there, okay? I, I want to emphasize I will not be discussing styles of music or, or methods employed. As we see, truly God, godly worship is an issue of the heart. Matter of fact, it has nothing to do with music and uh only a right heart can worship God, and that heart needs to know God, right? It needs to know God and to know him according to truth. So let's take a look at worship today. If we define the, the actual word worship, literally the Greek word for worship means properly to kiss. It, it means to kiss in homage, to bow to the ground and kiss in homage if one were going to be in front of a sovereign. And today, for the most part, worship, if you look at the modern Christian context, worship is defined as music. I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, I went to such and such church, and I love the worship, and I love the music. But biblical worship, true worship of God is much broader in concept and it's much broader in depth than much of the superficial, what I would say is the superficial modernistic worship. You know, the Psalms are a great place. If one wants to find worship, a great place to go is in the Psalms. And to understand the beauty of worship, here are just a few Psalms. Psalm 90, uh, Psalm 29.2, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 95, uh, 6, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Psalm 96, 9, oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him, all the earth. And the word there, worship, the verb used there in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew literally means to bow down. We come, we bow down, we lay low. And it really refers to one prostrating themselves before a monarch or a superior. And was, when Israel was called to worship, 
It was to pay homage and to demonstrate humility and to prostrate oneself before God. And this was done in holiness and fear. Those are words you don't hear too much today, but holiness means to be separate, to be set apart. And fear means, you know, you often hear that fear means reverence, but it goes beyond reverence. It's a reverential awe. I like to say it's a spiritual jaw-dropping. You stand before God. You realize you're in the presence of God. You are awed by God. And it also involves an element of fear because we come before the God who the Bible tells us knows even the intentions of of our motives, knows our secret thoughts. Now, yes, I am saved. I am blood washed. I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But just that little fact there saying that the Lord knows these things causes me to be in awe of his greatness, of his holiness, and of his power. And if you think back in the Old Testament time, few in Israel, few in Israel would dare to worship the Lord haphazardly, loosely, or casually. The worship of God was to the God-fearing Israelite a very sobering experience for that worshiper. And so this brings us back to our text, because I want to take a look at that, brings us back to our text. And in, in, in John chapter 4, Jesus has this encounter with this Samaritan woman. And after the Lord Jesus Christ de- uh, demonstrated his foreknowledge regarding her, she realized that he just wasn't a lost Jewish traveler on the road that just stopped to have a conversation. As a matter of fact, she goes on to say, in um, she goes on to say that she believes him to be a prophet. She says, "I perceive you, sir, that you are a prophet." Now I want you to notice something, right? Shortly after she says that, in verse nineteen, verses twenty to 26, turn immediately to the idea of worship. Now, if you notice something about this particular text, she wasn't uh, the prototypical person that you might be wanting to have a conversation, a theological conversation about worship. But she asked the Lord a question, and she says to him, In verse 20, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And in verses 21 through 24, you know, she inquires of the Lord, and Jesus' response is really twofold. And I want you to see this. Number one, Jesus' response clarifies that it's not where you worship, it's who you worship. That's the first part. The second part, he makes a statement. It's how you worship. So it's not where, it's not the location. It's who do you worship and how do you worship? Look at verse 23 again, where Jesus says, but an hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the father in spirit and truth for the father seeketh such to worship him. 
Jesus informs the woman that there is true worship, and if there is true worship, therefore there are true worshipers, and these true worshipers, they worship the Father, again, in a twofold. They worship the Father, the Father being God, the Father being the object of their worship, and I want to make a point there. There are times when people worship the worship rather than they worship God. You see this is happening all over the place in Christendom. People get very pumped up and they get very uh, excited about the worship. But Jesus is going to make another point here. And Jesus says, number one, true worshipers worship the Father. He is the object of their worship. And two, they do so in spirit and in truth. And spirit and truth become the means of worship. Spirit and truth should be the means of our worship. Let me t- I mean, I like sports. I'm an avid Yankee fan. Some of you may go boo hiss. Some of you may not even know what that is. But I like sports. And if I go to a sports game, if I'm in a, a stadium, and the organist starts playing dun 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 dun. You might see me going a little bit nuts, going, yeah, yeah, here we go, here we go. And you get caught up in the euphoria or you get caught up in the excitement. You could be at a symphony, you could be at a concert, and they could play a particular song, and it could hit strings of emotion in you. And the next thing you do is you find yourself crying or Weeping, sometimes at the beauty of it, sometimes at whatever else it might trigger in you. That's not worship. Many people come and many people can be moved by a song. They can even be moved by a lyric. But unless you know the object of your worship, and unless the object of that worship is indeed the living God, then you might be worshiping that which you do not know. As a matter of fact, that was one of the things that Jesus says to her. He says, you worship that which you do not know. We worship what we know, what we perceive, what we have knowledge for. For he says that salvation is of the Jews. So Jesus talks to her and he makes this statement that the worship the um, that they worship the father the true worshipers and they the father is the object of the worship and they worship in spirit and truth look at verse 24 he says god is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth note that jesus did not say that they are the worship in spirit only Some supposedly do that today. They worship in what they say is spirit and does not resemble anything closely to prostrating oneself and humbling oneself before God. As a matter of fact, at times it could be awfully chaotic, right? But the worship of God, Jesus says, involves spirit and truth. It involves the center of your emotions, and the center of your will. When we come to worship God, we should willfully come with a heart, a head and a heart that 
is attentive to the God who has been revealed to us. And I want to make this point because this is essential. He says that those who worship him should worship him in spirit and truth. Truth is critical here. Truth is not to be ignored because truth is critical to the worship of God because in all of his greatness and wonder, it involves knowing the objective propositional truth about God. See, we don't worship a figment of our imagination. That truth, that objective truth is revealed in Scripture and was personified in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I come to worship, I don't come to worship God as I see him. That is idolatrous. I come to worship God as I know God, as he has been revealed in his very word and personified in the person of Jesus Christ. Remember Philip in John 14, 9, may ask the question of Jesus, you know, he said, you know, show us the father, Lord, show us the father. Remember what Jesus said to him? He said, Jesus said to him in John 14, 9, Jesus saith unto him, have I, I've been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? God is spirit. He's not physical. God is not bound by time and space. He does not dwell in buildings made by men. And because God is indeed spirit, we, shall, we can worship God anywhere. God has descended to man through the blood of Jesus Christ, through that atoning blood and the indwelling Holy Spirit. Consequently, when we gather to pray, when we go into our prayer closets and the redeemed of God, whether alone or with others, we can come together to worship the Lord God, the living God of Jehovah. And we can do this because God is spirit. And we have access to his throne room because of the atoning blood of Christ. And we can worship because Jesus said in verse 23, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. I think you could see, and I wish, man, I wish I really had time to do an exposition of this, but I think you could see that worship is much, much, much more richer than perhaps it's being treated today. So this, these two simple verses, it asks three questions that we should consider here. Number one, do I know the truth of God, who he is, what he requires of me, and the proper way to worship God? And you can know this. By the way, you could know this intellectually, and you could know this experientially. And how do you know this? By careful study, meditation, and contemplation of the word of God. 
The second question, when I come to him, do I humble myself in worship to God? Remember, worship is not music. Worship means to kiss, to prostrate oneself, to humble oneself in the presence of the living God. God seeks after hearts, as Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the third question is, do I worship the Lord in spirit and in truth? Do I worship him in spirit with the full essence of my being? Do I worship him in spirit with the full surrender of my will? Do I worship him in spirit, by the way, with emotion, not stale liturgy, but pouring out my heart and desiring God? Do I worship him in spirit? And do I worship him in truth? Am I one with the spirit of God in worship? Do I desire to see the glory of the Lord? Do I desire to seek and praise him? Do I enter prayer and worship with expectation? Do I realize that the audience is with the living God? And lastly, and this is critical. Do I desire to worship him? I'm going to close with this. A.W. Tozer, whom I'm a big fan of, made this statement. Only worship that flows from the awesome manifest presence of God is acceptable to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And just a side note, one of the things that is very evident in Every single revival is an awareness of God and his presence and a worshiping of God in spirit and truth. May we be that people that worship God in spirit and truth. Amen.